Ray, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the show. Um, obviously, the unfortunate, tragic death of Adam Johnson is on everybody's mind uh, after this past weekend. And, you know, the, the outpouring of support to his family and former teammates is, uh, is been evident. And, and I guess the question a lot of people are asking is, will more and better neck protection become mandatory in a lot of pro leagues, do you think? You know, I saw... Uh, I saw Craig Button talking about this um, a couple of days ago, and I and I think he really got it right. And that is that, you know, 20 years ago we were talking about visors um, in a way that I think there was a real strong pushback uh, from a lot of guys that didn't wear them, um, didn't want to wear them, even though there was, you know, obvious um, safety enhancements that were available players just didn't didn't want to wear them and now i had worn one since i was 19 when i was in junior and i just never took it off i felt more comfortable with it what happened this past weekend with adam uh johnson is is tragic it's just a, i mean it's heartbreaking to see and to understand at 29 you know years old he was just really getting started and um, I, I do think there are better options, more options available that you kind of put out of your mind when, as you're in the game. It's, you know, it's one thing for me to say at my age, oh, I think everybody should wear one. But when you're in the haze of the game, you never really think about it. And I, I do think we'll, we'll see more players start to experiment, start to try it. Um, Maybe once one company's product won't be what they like, maybe somebody else's will be. But I, I do find it like sometimes I think you, you just you need a push from like the players' association here mm-hmm. um, to say like let's really explore this how we can get everybody in this product. Some guys aren't going to want to do it even now, and I, I don't really have a reason why, but. It's just like some guys wear really short cuffs on their gloves. Right. You know, they, they say, oh, I can handle the puck better. I mean, Wayne Gretzky wore shoe boxes on his arms for 20 years, and he had, you know, 900 goals or whatever he had. So uh, I, the comfort thing, the verse protection, I, I don't know. I gradually think we're sliding into a, a mindset with the player that if the protection is there, they're going to wear it. And and I hope they do. Yeah, I I would agree. It's it's rare, but it uh, if it happens once, it's uh, too often, unfortunately. Um, but see, well, it's happened a few times though. It has, like, yeah. Clint Malarchuk you know, comes you know, to mind, um, obviously. Well, yeah, that was a long time ago. But Evander Kane last year, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you know, not not in his throat, but you know, just in a freak accident, he fell down and yep. a skate clipped him. Just you know, like when when we played skates likely weren't as sharp we certainly didn't go as fast um and so maybe that was the reason like i i only remember five or seven years ago maybe that this became more of a a, an issue to talk about that players were getting hit with skates and i i did a game last week in chicago and uh, Jacob Locko was the Bruins forward. 
and he got a skate right next to his eye. I mean, like, it's millimeters away from a terrible outcome. And so I, I just, I, I think, I think there's a, there's enough awareness that, that the PA really can be a, a guide here to, to help more players get into it. Yeah, and that push kind of uh, that you mentioned is is unfortunately um, needs needs to happen for for everybody's safety. You mentioned Chicago. Um, that's obviously a big topic of conversation. You were there for Connor Bernard's very first game. Uh, he scored again uh, recently in great fashion. Just your thoughts on Bernard getting to see him in that first game and and what you've seen from him in we're almost ten games in now. Well, <clears throat> I think the expectations for Connor were were so high, it was going to be impossible to meet them. Uh, you know, people talking about him in the, you know, amongst the greats of the game and man, you gotta let the poor kid get his feet wet. He hasn't, you know, at the time he hadn't even played a game yet. And, um, you know, he's, he scores uh, in Boston in his second game. He scores in his home opener. He gets another one last night. Um like the kid's going to be able to score. Like there is no doubt in my mind that he is going to be a top flight goal scorer. As far as the way he's going to be able to play, I'm not really sure yet. Um, in the game against Boston that I did last week, three times he's carrying the puck through the middle of the ice and he got caught from behind. Now, I don't know if that's, you know, a lack of familiarity and the way guys backtrack in this league or if it's just a muscle memory about the way he was able to play in junior uh, versus what he's going to be able to do here. Um, I, I just don't have a, I don't have a great feel about what his game is going to look like when it's more NHL formed. Uh, I, I have, as I said, I have no doubt he's going to be a top end goal scorer. I just don't know if he's going to have at his size and the way that he skates if he's going to have the impact that some other players do. Um, the, don't forget here, he's not getting compared to pretty good players. Yeah, it, it, You know, the comparisons are among the very best in the game. Could he be Sidney Crosby? Uh, what's he like compared to Connor McDavid? Like, are you kidding me? Like, let the guy get 15 games in first. This will be too old for most of the people watching and listening. He reminds me a little bit of Marcel Dion. Oh, kind of same skating, yeah. same size, big point producer, like Hall of Famer. Yeah. But when I make that comparison, most people go, oh, yeah. like, like Marcel <laughs> was enough. some schlub, you know, playing <laughs> men's hockey. You know, he's a Hall of Famer. And, and, and that's kind of the thing is there's generational players and which is Bernard is being put in that category and they're above Hall of Famers. Like there are hall of famers well there's only a handful of generational players and that's what he's he's getting compared to in that regard and it's, it's funny when people are like well he's better than marcel dion well marcel dion for people that don't know was as you mentioned a terrific goal scorer on a, an la kings team that didn't get a lot of ink it wasn't very good and you know the the the, the list goes on so and and honestly until we'll never we won't have a full picture of what connor Right. is going to look like until he's a couple years in the league till the team around him gets better. Uh, you know, he's got better players and more like-minded players. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Blackhawks are, uh, I made this comparison on the, on the opening broadcast. Um, sometimes things come into my head. I don't know where the hell they come from. But anyway, um, they're talking about, we were talking about their rebuild. And I said, they're not even really rebuilding yet. They've just bought the lot and they're clearing the trees right now. Like they're not even at the rebuild. They're just prepping the lot. Yeah. And that's really where the Blackhawks are right now. Yeah, they got one of the best lots out there uh, in, in Bedard uh, as a foundation, but certainly uh, work needs to be done. How about the Golden Knights? You know, they're still celebrating as they went through that Manitoba tour with, the, I call it the Manitoba Mafia on the uh, the Golden Knights. And, you know, they're rolling with this point mm-hmm. streak. How have they been able to just keep this going? Is it system or is it just terrific players? What do you see with the Golden Knights? Uh, I think it's both, um, you know, 19 players back from their Stanley cup championship team last year. Um, so there's really no adjustment for anybody, right? They just come back and play the same way. When, when you look at their year last year, Jack Eichel was their top score. He had 66 points. Jack Eichel will get more than 66 points this year. I think there's a chance there'll be a better regular season team this year than last. It would be hard for me to believe they would go through as many goalies as they went through last year. Right. Um, their system protects their goalies quite well, but man, they were, they were using, they used five and six goalies last year. We asked Bruce Cassidy near the end of the year about, you know, in this particular game, I said, Oh, it looks like Jonathan quick is your goalie tonight. And he said, my goalies are whichever two guys are sitting in the room right now. Like they, they were just looking for two guys that were quasi healthy to play. Like they really had to battle it. And then you, you look at their team and uh, I did their Western conference final against Dallas. They were up three games to nothing. They ended up winning in six, but I'm standing between the benches. They go out and I'm like, Oh my God, this is a football team. Like <laughs> these guys are enormous. They've got one small guy, Jonathan Marcheseau, and he won the con Smythe. Like there's, they're big, they're, they're mobile. They lean on you. They play a really structured, unselfish game. They've got really solid goaltending an excellent coach. And, um, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm surprised they haven't lost yet, but I'm not surprised they're off to a good start. Yeah, and, and you mentioned it with almost everybody back from last year. Uh, there's really, you know, training camp becomes practices almost uh, from day one. Um, how about the top 10 scorers? I was looking at it. A lot of guys in their 20s. There's a couple of guys in their 30s sprinkled in there, but youth is obviously kind of uh, in the last 5, 10 years. I don't know, maybe even longer in your mind. Is this the best we've seen it skill-wise uh, in the NHL when it comes to young players coming in, not being afraid and just – you know, Hughes is 22 leading the league right now. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and this has been going on a while, right? But the, the younger players come into the league now, um, better equipped, uh, more confident, better trained, um, more ready to, to play at this level. And if you're, you know, if you're at that level of player, they don't need seasoning. Like they're, they're ready to go. You talk about Jack and I mean, Jack Hughes is a, an amazing player. He's so creative. He's so skilled. And it, you know, he's, 
He's going to get 100 points this year. And as you say, he's 22 years old. Um, look at the very best players around the league. Like Kale McCarr is really young. Adam Fox is a, a little bit older, but he's really young. Quinn Hughes is young and just scratching, I think, where he's going to go. And the, those are just three defensemen. Go to the forwards and, I don't know, is 27 years old? Old? Certainly not. And <laughs> now you got Nate McKinnon and William Nylander that maybe are not the, you know, Nylander in particular, maybe not the first name that, you know, pops off your tongue. But, man, he... He's been the best Leaf by a long margin this year. There's The skill in the league is better than it's been. The game, the way it's opened up, is, is more conducive to scoring, and the game is in really good hands with these young guys. Yeah, and, and it is. And, um, you know, McDavid getting back is also really good uh, for, for the game. And having the best players on the ice uh, in national broadcasts is is huge. And then, then you have uh, some veterans that are not going away and not giving this up just yet. Well, look, I remember as I got older, um, almost taking articles about younger players more on our team, but um, that I, I I think I would be defensive about or, um, you know, kind of you know, like it was a burr in my shoe. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I, you know, the older guys aren't done yet either. And like, if you, I mean, if you think Sidney Crosby is going to fade into the good night, you're, you know, that's, that's not happening. I mean, he's, so the last days in the league, he's going to be trying to be a difference maker. And, you know, some of the, some of the guys that are able to produce into their thirties, one of the reasons they do that is because they have a fire to them and a pride and somewhat an ego that they're not going away. I mean, why is Joe Pavelski as successful as he is at 37 years old or 38 now? It's because he's got a pride, a work ethic, and an ego to score. He wants to score. He wants to be a difference maker. He doesn't want to be a guy just kind of hanging out. And I think that's probably one of the common threads when you look at the older players around the league. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on as we're joined by Ray Ferraro is to talk about hockey, but also uh, you, you've had this terrific second post career that I think every player would love as mm. one of the best analysts. You know, I told my buddies you. you were coming on and they said, oh, he tells it like it is, which I think is one of the best compliments for an analyst to be able to just mm. not sugarcoat it, but without being, pardon my French, a jerk or a dick. You know, you can, you can say mm. things critically without being going over the line. So, I wanted to talk about, you know, the broadcast part and is joining a new broadcast team and a new broadcast company uh, like joining in a new NHL team and getting used to players and coaches and, and new cities and things like that. Is it somewhat similar and does that help you? Nah, it, it's not similar because um, there's a great saying in, in TV, uh, don't forget we're all out there alone. Right. And, you know, like you're on the broadcast, but when I'm talking – my play-by-play -play partner can't help me. It's just me. And if I don't make sense and he makes sense, then people say, they don't say, oh, that broadcast doesn't make sense. They go, Ferraro doesn't make sense. So th there is, there's an individuality to it that 
when you get traded to a new team, like right away, you're traveling with 20 guys or 22 guys. You're, you're in the hotel, you go for dinner, you go practice, you have the same, everybody does the same job. And in broadcasting, it's, you know, we don't all do the same job. Play-by-play analyze or play-by-play calls the game. I analyze our reporter reports and has stories. We're all doing different stuff. The producers have different ways they want to do the game. I have a different way I want to do the game. Well, this is the part of the team that is similar, is that we have to get to the same page or the same place so that I can I can expect what's coming from the producer and he can expect to a certain degree of regularity what I'm talking about. And so that's the, honestly, that's the, that's, it's not the most difficult thing. It's the most obvious thing uh, for me. The only way you, you can talk about it as much as you want, but you need to do it. You need to do games. We're in our third year now. And the producer I work with most of the time, he, you know, I, I go into my talk back. I'm not sure if everybody knows how it works, but you know, I, I have my headset on so I can hear the play by play, but also I have a button that is a direct talk back to the producer. So the play by play guy's going on doing his thing and I'm talking to the producer about the next highlight or what, Hey, I want that one in the queue. And he'll say, Oh yeah, coming up on the uh, next whistle, we've got this. And at the same time, the game's still going on. So there has to be a cadence to it. Like I can't have my producer talking to me in my ear for 30 seconds because I need to listen to the play-by-play guy. So he's got to be able, and I've got to be able to communicate like in very few words. And as you know me, that's not a strength. <laughs> few words is not a, not a strength. So we, we're, you know, we always are, we laugh at ourselves sometimes because we're like, Ooh, that one wasn't as smooth as it probably should have been, but Three years in, it's now really predictable. And, and reps, exactly what you said. Uh, yeah. You know, the people say you need a certain amount of reps to get perfect. You just need to continually work together and gel as, as a broadcast team. And the first, I always find the first, uh, like any hockey team, the ho- the hockey gets better and the, the broadcasting gets better when you've been off uh, for a bit of a summer. And now Sure, the gr- yeah, yeah. yeah. The grind isn't as much as the, the playoff grind, but traveling is a bit of a grind. Any kind of playoff horror stories when you're trying to get from city to city? And um, that, that, that is the, the time where you get to the end yeah. of the line and you're like, all right, now I can rest. Well, uh, one year at TSN, Gord Miller and I uh, did 13 games in 13 days. And by the end of it, like your brain is mush. You know, you're confusing number 17 from that game with number 17 from another team. And, you know, like it's really hard. But the 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 one game, this is where it was like, okay, we need a break, was um, we were in St. Louis, night game. We They chartered a plane for us. And we flew from St. Louis to Philadelphia. The next game was a national game. Sunday at noon. Wow. So I think we got to Philly at like six in the morning and we went to the hotel to sleep for a few hours. The people that you never see 
on TV, the people that really make it go, the technicians, the camera people, those that do the wiring for all the cameras, and they, they literally dropped their bags off, went into the room, showered, and went to the rink. And when we got there at 1030, they were still wiring stuff. Like how they got it done, I got no idea. I got four hours of sleep, right? But they, they didn't. They had, to, they had to get going. As far as horror stories, I mean, there's always like you almost miss. Mm-hmm. You're late. You, you know, travel is backed up on you somewhere. I'm uh, unfortunately have developed a little bit of a reputation of not knowing when the game time is. And, uh, you know, so I think the game's at seven, turns out it's at six. I get a call at like 4.30, where are you? Oh, man, I'm on the way, but I'm in the gym, you know, thinking I got another two hours. And so this, yeah, this would be one of my grand weaknesses. Oh, that's good. Um, I'm sure you get asked this a lot. Do you think the Whalers could ever return to Hartford? Uh, I do, and no, I don't. the the economics of the game have changed since that time and i just i don't see um or i don't understand that there would be enough of a a corporate base there to support the team and it's a shame because the people that supported us were awesome Mm -hmm. like we we had great support in hartford they moved it to raleigh and now all these years later they've done a really great job in raleigh with the caniacs and the their buildings full and energetic and lively and they're expanding and doing some other things that I think will make it even more engaging as the next year or two rolls out. But as far as back to Hartford, I just, unfortunately, I don't think it would work. You can keep the dream alive. Cause I thought the same thing about Winnipeg and they did get it back there different time mm-hmm. and, and stuff, but uh, I guess we can always dream. Um, you mentioned Gord Miller and your time at TSN, Darren Drager, legendary prankster. Obviously you have the, the uh, yep. Ray and Dregs podcast. What's the best prank you have played on Dregs? Okay. So I'll be honest with you. Dregs is an almost like a no fly zone oh. because he has no filter on the return. <laughs> Like, like you just, I, I would, I would worry about really pranking him. Now a garbage can full of water up against this hotel door or, you know, things like that. That's fine. But I, I think I would be careful with drags. I, I don't, I haven't really, haven't really gone there. I, I like it. I mean, I like this. I like the prank stuff. Yeah. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't think so. I, I think most people steer clear of him because they fear his reprisals. See, now I'm kind of wondering if a leaner is, is like, like the leaner is about as far as I would go. Like, you know, the garbage can full of ice or whatever. Yeah. I, I'm not sure I would go that much farther. Now I'm wondering like how devious do these pranks actually get? Because that's my, maybe as far as I would go, you get a little water on the floor and you have a laugh. Oh no, you could depends on your depends on your effort level like if you really want to put an effort in yeah you know like you you can you can get to work but i don't uh when i was playing maybe there was more of those um mm-hmm. you know happened to me and you know stuff that you'd be involved with your you know if somebody was 
I don't know, silly enough to leave their car keys around. You can have their car moved six blocks away. Um, you know, like stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I not, not now. I'm not, I, no, I'm not gonna, well, maybe once in a while, but I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into it with drags. Yeah, exactly. Probably good, uh, good reason. Uh, okay. Uh, I cannot have you on without asking you about, uh, a legendary season in the town. I grew up in Brandon, 108 goals, also 84 assists. I mean, that season is like, there should be a sign when you go into Brandon home of the 108 goal season. Like, what do you remember? What well, first of all, you got traded, and you're a Western guy, so you're probably thinking Brandon, and then you go in and you have a, a C note plus season for goals. Yeah, I uh, I got traded in August, and uh, me and four other guys for a player named Blaine Crest, who was a 15 year old, um, really clearly highly touted player, and he was going out to Portland. Now I didn't want to go. Uh, Brandon was too far. Um, and at some point, my dad said, you know, look, you should probably give this a try. They, you know, they did trade for you. I think he was ignoring that there were four other guys on the trade on our side, you know. But anyway, he said, you just give it a try, see how it goes. So I got there the day before the season, practiced once. And um, um, the next day we played in Winnipeg and I got a hat trick. And then the second day, you know, we played a home and home and I got a hat trick the second game. And it, it, I mean, the goals just kept, kept coming. Right. And, um, I played with two guys, Stacy Pratt and Dave Curry, who were terrific junior players, both of them exceptional passers. Uh, we really fit well together. Our power play was off the charts. Uh, uh, Cam Plant was our, was our quarterback on it. And I think Cam had like 118 assists that year. Yep. And uh, I had, I know I had 43 power play goals and um, I was actually just talking to Connor Bedard a week ago about it. He had 71 goals in 57 games as a 17 year old. And so he said him and his buddies were looking it up and they're like, geez, you know, I got all these goals. I must be getting close. And they had no idea that the record was what it was. And I said, yeah, but if you played at 19 and you played 72 games, you'd get 108 goals. But I, um, I just don't, I don't know if somebody breaks it, you know, good on them, but I just, I can't imagine somebody's going to average a goal and a half a game. I mean, I was looking through, I found some scrapbooks that my mom kept just so awesome. She kept all this stuff and all the games were like eight, six, nine, five. I was like, there was, there was a lot of goals back then. And so for me that year, it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty remarkable. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Uh, let, let's end with this. Um, the, the hockey landscape is is changing. Uh, uh, you've mm-hmm. had uh, kids go through it. Now we see what the BCHL is doing. There's independent uh, youth hockey leagues. What do you think of just the changing landscape of hockey and the choices that are out there for families and, and discussions that need to be had, just like when they wanted to choose between junior or NCAA or whatever it might be? Yeah, there's... Um... There's a real set of discussions that need to happen um, so that people can get the information they need and not just to say, oh, it's on a website. Like people need to understand when they make a choice, how that choice impacts them. Um, the, you know, the BCHL 
pulling itself into an independent league is a big deal. They have their own set of rules. They've got their own insurance. They've got their own officials. Um, players can't go from a Hockey Canada League to the BC Junior League. Like it's a, in some ways, Dean, it's a mess. It, it really is. I think in short order, it will straighten itself out in that people will understand what the differences are. Um, you know, my son Landon is doing, um, uh, he's just retired. He played the last four years in Germany and he's doing some coaching out in Langley. And I was asking him about, well, what about this player? And he's like, no, we can't have him. He's not, you know, and he was going through the affiliations and how you can bring players into a independent league that you can't, that you would have been able to use a different way a year ago. And it was quite frankly, quite confounding to me. And so I, I really hope that like everything, education's the answer. The more educated the parents are, the players are, the teams are, then people can find what the right path is for themselves. Cause it's, it's not the right path for everybody. Each league has their own strengths and minuses and each player and parent has to figure out what's the best for me because what's best for me might not be best for you. And, and it's, it's hard to decipher things when it's new. Yeah, well said. And communication and discussion and education is the best thing, whether you're talking about sports, life, but especially when you're making very important decisions. And you shouldn't make decisions without knowing what the potential impact could be, whatever, whether you're uh, on a Hockey Canada uh, league or an independent league. Well, right. Uh, the, the toughest part about that, though, Dean, is sometimes you can think a parent and a player might think that they're making the right decision mm -hmm. and they've made it. And then they realize some months down the road, Oh, wait a minute. That might not be the right thing. I'll, I'll get, I'll give you a personal example. Our son is 16. Mm -hmm. He's uh, in the Vancouver Whitecaps Academy. He's quite a good soccer player. I get, I guess people are telling me, what, what do I know? <laughs> um, right? Like I don't know soccer. Right. And so now we're trying to put together what are, what are the possibilities of a player his age in the next two to three to four years as he finishes grade 11, gets to grade 12, then what? And so this is what it must feel for a hockey parent that doesn't quite understand the landscape the same way Cammie and I are trying to understand the soccer landscape. And it's confusing and you're nervous because you really want to do the best for your child, but and you got to try and find the right info and how do you find it and how do you make it applicable to your son or daughter it's it's really uh it's really hard at some point but again like the it's easy to say yeah it's just up on the website but that's not good enough right like not you can't always understand the website or the nuance of what's written on the website there needs to be an understanding that only time i think gives you Time straightens out a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, exactly. And it's communication, right? It's, it's about, you know, where do you find, how do you find that information? Is this the right information? And 
Uh, you're right. It's going to take some time to sort it out, but uh, we need to sort it out because in in the end, it's not you or I or, or Cammy that gets punished. It's the the kid who can't play in a certain yeah. situation because of the rules that maybe people didn't know about. So. Does t- it will take some time. Uh, Ray, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much uh, for, for joining us. And people obviously can uh, watch you on ESPN ABC and uh, with the Canucks broadcast as well and the Ray and Driggs uh, podcast. Thanks so much for spending some time with us here on Game Changers. Uh, you bet, Dean. Thanks. It's, um, it's kind of cool to get back into the season. I'm in Toronto for the Kings tonight, and this will be good. And then I'm in Boston on Thursday for, for the Leafs. So uh, be a good week of hockey.